Welcome to Grateful Scripts, and I'm your host, Lindsay Paulson. Join us as we dive in each week to talk healing, adulting, and resources for trauma, life, and just showing up for one another. Together, we are going to learn everything our parents forgot to teach us in a community of grace and humility. Grab the coziest blanket you have, some snacks, snuggle up, and be ready to digest the best script that anyone can prescribe. This is The Grateful Script. Hello, hello, and thank you so much for tuning back to another episode of Grateful Scripts. I personally am super excited for this episode. I am actually here with an old friend from high school. So I have not touched base with her in what feels like a hot minute, but I actually saw some celebratory news that she had posted on social media. So I was very, very excited for her and reached out because I thought she would be the perfect person to come tell her story and kind of talk with us today. So I am so excited to introduce Miss Ashley Curry. We actually cheered um, together in high school and I mean, a lot has changed since high school. So <laughs> for everybody involved. So Ashley, I'm so excited to kind of talk with you today. And for those who don't know you, go ahead and drop the intro and tell us a little bit about you. Well, thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. Um, my name is Ashley Curry. We already said that. Um, I am a mother and I am an adult and family peer support specialist. I am in recovery and I'm almost five years sober. Which is a huge accomplishment, yeah. by the way. So congratulations on that. Thank um, you. That is, I was very excited for that news and kind of you had released news about your new position that you had just accepted. So yeah. if you don't mind, tell everybody kind of just a little bit more about you and what you are currently doing now. Okay. Um, I work as a peer support specialist, which if you don't know what that is, that I work with women that are I work with women and men. I used to work at only a women's facility, but I work at an outpatient facility now with people who suffer from substance use disorder. Um, I have a passion for this because I'm in recovery and I'm able to connect with the people that I work with on a, on a different level than normal therapists and counselors can connect with them on. So it makes them feel more comfortable to open up. And I think it's easier to help people when you've also been through the same thing. So like, I know what they're talking about. I know what they're feeling in the moment. So it's, it's really cool to work with them. Um, I've lived in Louisville for the past few years, but I recently just moved to Winchester to be closer to family. And I just started a new job at Addiction Recovery Care, also known as ARC. And I've really been enjoying it. The people that I work with are great. The atmosphere of the whole facility is awesome. And like I said just a second ago, I was working in inpatient facility. So now I'm working in an outpatient facility and I'm getting to see the other side of recovery and like life after treatment. And so it's it's been really cool so far and I really love it. I love that. And I love that you said you've been able to see both sides of it because I think it's such a good 
it's a good perspective shift right. um, for maybe not even only you, but like the other people who you are assisting. So, right. That's super and cool. I used to, I was working with only women in a, a treatment facility. So now I'm working with men and women. So I haven't ever worked with men before. So it's, it's been really cool and I'm learning all kinds of new stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's talk a little bit about, um, you're so gracious to open up and share your journey and story. So thank Absolutely. you so much for that. Let's um, dive in a little bit to like the first time that you kind of recognized that you were experiencing or encountering some sort of trauma or mental health stress. Okay. Um, I first experienced trauma when I was a kid. Um, my mom used drugs from the time that I was 10 years old that I know of up until she passed away from an overdose when I was 19. So I think because of that, my household was always very hostile. And, you know, I learned from a young age that I had to take care of myself. My parents were always arguing and screaming at each other, which made for walking on eggshells every day. And, you know, the first time I remember my mom being, you know, high my dad was taking me and my sister to our grandmother's house and just kept telling me, you can't talk to your mom, you know, and I was just panicking because I'm real young and I didn't understand it. And I ended up calling her on the phone, you know, without anybody knowing. And looking back, that was, that was probably the first moment that was very traumatic, you know? Yeah. Well, kind of looking at that, even in retrospect, what, now that Ashley and I were joking before this podcast started, because when she wrote peer adult and peer sports specialist, <laughs> I wrote that she, I thought she wanted me to introduce her as finally being an adult. And so I, I chuckled so much at that because I was like, dang, like she is proud to, to be an proud. adult. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but kind of what emotions do you think this elicits in you as an adult? Just, you know, you are on this side of the story now and having that experience with your mom? Um, <laughs> um, the emotions that I feel like I really, I think I mainly just grieve the loss of a childhood that I could have had, but didn't, you know, and as an adult, I've had to deal with a lot of anger and just resentment. And, you know, especially after being sober, like, that's what would get me high was just, you know, depression and anger and all of that because I didn't like how I felt. And it's because, you know, I always was looking at like other people and like the their the lives that they were having and knowing what mine was back at home. And so I guess just probably like jealousy and anger and all the negative emotions, really. Well, you fall into that comparison trap. No matter what right. age. And I think that even, uh, and I know my mom listens to this podcast, but like we went to a private school. So we're surrounded right. by a lot of families that don't maybe necessarily have a lot of different dynamics as opposed mm -hmm. to being in a public school. And I think that with that comparison trap comes with, you see, you know, teammates or classmates that they have. The per right. their parents have the perfect marriage, a lot of money. And even at a young age, I feel like I know I felt that. Um, so Absolutely. I don't think that you were necessarily alone in that 
situation, but it's definitely right. looking back interesting to see because I truly don't know if I even understood back then your situation in its entirety. And nobody did because we, my mom was really good at hiding what was going, like we would always put on like a, you know, a front for the world. But then at home, it was just a whole different, you know, atmosphere. And it was, you know, I would go over to my friend's houses and I would, you know, they would have the big, pretty houses, like the, their parents loved each other, you know, all that stuff. They would go on vacations and stuff. And my, you know, I was me and my mom and my dad and sister, we bounced around to a new house just about every year that I was growing up. Like I remember one time I counted, I had moved 13 times before I was 18. <laughs> like that's, Hi. that's hard as a kid for real. And that's, and for not understanding, I think just the, overall underlying issue and the severity of it and I think that is also because you kind of sit back and wonder and think like well you know what is what makes my family set apart from the other people's family and we always knew that um like my sister and I we knew that my that my mom was getting high and was using drugs and was doing we knew she was doing something I didn't it took me until I was like you know 16 maybe to realize that what she was doing but I always knew that like there was always something off with my mom and she would always deny 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 and she would just never tell me the truth and it I think that alone like I would have appreciated the truth maybe but I think she was also in denial so I think that that kind of played a big role in things too just knowing that I'm being lied to I guess yeah no I I can I can certainly see how that is a valid feeling. Um, yeah. From that experience, tell me a little bit about your personal journey and kind of what that ended up looking like or kind of what that journey and ride looked like for you. Right. Um, I started using drugs like regularly when I was 15. You know, I had tried something when I was like 13, but it, I didn't go back until I was about 15. I started dating this guy who, you know, sold drugs and all that. And I just thought it was the coolest thing ever. Um, and then it, you know, it took me 12 years to finally get sober. Um, my mom overdosed when I was 19. She had been living in North Carolina for about two years. She had moved down there. She told us she was moving down there for a job, but, you know, she actually moved down there to go to rehab. And she ended up overdosing while she was down there. And the the day after her funeral, I found out I was pregnant with my daughter. And it was it was really hard, you know, burying burying my mom, and then almost immediately after finding out I was pregnant, so I had to go through all of that without her. And I didn't really like I was. I wasn't like bad off on drugs until uh, 2015. I'll just skip over a little bit. My daughter was born in 2011. In 2015, I had a baby boy. His name was Carter, and he was just the cutest thing ever. And he passed away at two and a half months old from SIDS, which is 
sudden infant death syndrome. And that was by far the most devastating thing I have ever been through. And after the death of my son, that's when my drug use just got off the chain. Um, there were a, quite a few nights that I would just pray and beg God to, to just not wake me up. Um, I started using drugs uh, intravenously. And I mean, I really, I would just pray f- just not to make it through. I actually overdosed a total of 18 times and have been given Narcan 11 of those times. And the only, the only reason I'm alive today is because God had something bigger for me. Um, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Like that. I look back and there's, there is absolutely no reason I should be alive and walking around on this earth right now. And. So in February of 2019, I caught my second felony and that charge is what saved my life. I had been going in and out of jail for, um, since 2013. And I mean, just constantly, like I think the longest I had been out of jail at was like six months. Cause I would always go in for just stupid petty stuff, but Something finally clicked in February of 2019. Uh, I spent a couple months in jail and then I was sent to a SAP program or rehab in Louisville. And that's actually where I got sober. I, when I got there, I just threw myself into the program and I took complete advantage of every opportunity they gave me. I took all the classes available and attended every church service they had. I actually, during that time, I actually read the Bible cover to cover. (laughs) And I was in, I was in anger management class a few days before I was to be released and was offered a job by my most recent employer. She paid for me to get certified as a peer support specialist. And I worked there for four years after that. And then, and now I've came, I've transferred over to ARC, but. Is there, like, do you remember being there like an aha moment? Like you said, you kind of, you know, that felony has saved your life. Like, was it really just like a, was there a moment or kind of just like a slow transition? You were like, okay, this is not, this is not the plan. And now we have to kind of put ourselves in action. Honestly, I think it was a mixture of both because I had tried to get sober you know, a few times, I want to say maybe like three or four other times before I actually did. And so I think it was a slow transition, but then I also did have an aha moment. Um, I was incarcerated in Harlan County and I got in trouble with uh, two other women. We were doing tattoos in jail. <laughs> That's frowned upon by the CEO. Yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't know that they probably loved that, but okay. no, they didn't like that. I had been in that jail for a total of 18 hours before this happened. And so I ended I up in the hole. I don't know how you pulled that off. Like, I <laughs> don't even want details of how you yeah. pulled that But yeah. Listen, you get really crafty in there. <laughs> yes. And so we got caught doing that. And they in, and I ended up in the hole, which is solitary confinement for 30 days. And oh my goodness. Yeah. And normally, 
people like if that's your first offense in the jail, like normally they would only give you like a week. But the girl that I got caught with had already been was just like a menace in the jail, apparently, and had been in, in trouble constantly. So because they gave her 30 days, they had to give me and the other girl 30 days. I was like, what kind of mess is this? Like, what have I got myself into? And, oh gosh. So are I mean, are you truly isolated then? Like you have a yes, lot of time to think. Absolutely. Like there's no windows. There's not even like a a window in the door. The only person that you come in contact with is the person that's dropping off your food three times a day. Ugh. Well, I guess other than the, the two people that I got in trouble with, but you know, <laughs> for the first ten days we weren't even allowed to have any type of paper or reading material. And then after the 10th day, you were allowed to get a Bible. So that's why I read the Bible cover to cover. Yeah. Well, so they, they, you go through this moment, you're slocked in solitary confinement. And then kind of what says to you, what's besides the fact that you can't see the sun, like what is (laughs) that it comes up to you that you're like, okay, I got to go. Like I got to break out of here. I had never, like the longest I had done in the hole was like, three to seven days maybe so like that one I don't know what it was really but I just remember laying there and was like I don't want to do this anymore like I don't want to keep living like this I'm I'm getting too old I think I was 27 like I'm really pushing 30 I cannot live my life going in and out of a jail cell especially if it's going to look like this and and so one day uh when I'm I I had been sentenced a year and so I was eligible for home incarceration for like the last half of my sentence. And so the parole or probation officers came up to the jail and they're asking me if I have like an address to give them for a home placement so that I could get put on the ankle monitor and then, you know, be released. And at that point, I didn't even have somebody that I could give an address for like my dad didn't want anything to do with me. My sister hadn't talked to me in two years. Like I was really, I had burned all my bridges. And so I told them, I was like, um, if you can send me to like a halfway house, just send me there. And I, I prayed really hard, like just send me somewhere that will help me. And that's how I ended up at uh Dismas charities in Louisville. Oh my gosh. So explain to us kind of, you know, you're going through all of this, how you learn best to process your emotions and all these different things that are being thrown at you. Um, to be honest, I am still a work in progress and I'm still learning new things every day, but the thing that helped me the most in the beginning was definitely praying. But over time I learned uh breathing techniques and the grounding method. Uh which I actually, I use the breathing techniques quite a lot. Uh, the breathing technique is also known as the triple four method or the four for four. I like to joke around like the Wendy's thing. Yes. And it's breathing in for four seconds, holding it for four seconds, and then breathing out for four seconds. So it just kind of gets your mind focusing on your breath instead of whatever you are worrying about. And then the grounding method, it's a little different, but you find five things you can see, 
four things you can feel or touch, three things you can hear, two things you can smell, and then one thing you can taste. So that really gets your brain, you know, not only off of what you're thinking about, but focused on like your surroundings and like where you're at in the moment. Yeah. So are those, where did you inherit those? Where did you learn those from? Um, I, when I was teaching classes, whenever I worked at Dismiss Charities, um, I would always try to find coping skills and, you know, things that people can do during like high stress times. And I actually just found it on Google. I typed in, um, I want to say it was like coping skills for anxiety. And that's where I found it. And ever since then, I have just, I've loved it. I've shared it with just about everybody. I've taught it in at least once in every class that I would do. And I used to try to start anger management with the breathing techniques. Like, okay, everybody, let's get centered. Yeah. No, I think that's incredibly helpful. And I I think it's a good thing to pass along to other people. And you're talking about about teaching, you know, classes, is that kind of what, is that part of your peer support specialist role or kind of what does like a day-to-day with that look like for you? Yeah. Um, all peer support specialists, they can teach classes, but it's not like very, it's not a requirement. And I don't know if it's even very common for them, but it is a thing. Um, I used to teach anger management and parenting classes and I would teach, it would be like an hour, an hour class once a week for eight weeks. You know, um, I haven't started teaching any classes at ARC yet, but I have mentioned that I've, you know, done it a few times and told them that I'm more than willing to do it if they would like to. But really, uh, day to day as a peer support, you at ARC, you will, you know, you'll have to call your clients and hope that they answer the phone because a lot of people don't. Um, I meet with them once a month and then we'll do like a relapse prevention plan and just kind of, and that basically just consists of like making some personal goals, like uh, short and long-term personal, educational, spiritual goals. Um, uh, it focuses on like your triggers and like, what are you feeling when you feel triggered? Um, what are some skills you can do in the moment to help ease the trigger? And we try to like make up a plan of action for when they're feeling stressed out for like the next month until I see them again. Holy cow. So it's like a complete, I mean, I know you probably are so grateful for, you know, that experience, but I just am in awe of how far it even has come. Like you go from solitary confinement to 30 days to teaching people about their triggers and their relapse. Like that is a complete 180 and you should be incredibly proud of that. Yeah. I mean, I really, I was lucky enough that I was able to turn like my lowest point in my life to, you know, the highest point, honestly, like I've, I've taken every bad thing that I've been through and I've flipped it around because I can use those stories and those experiences as hope for somebody else to show them that they are capable of recovery. They're worth it. And if I can do it, they can do it. What do you think is a big 
and this question might throw you off guard, but what it, what do you think is a big mis, a misconception about recovery? Like, what do you wish people understood more about it? Um, probably, or just even addiction impossible, or even addiction in its in totality, like the, or the two together. I'd I'd say definitely just the fact that addiction is a disease. Because a lot of people think that it's a choice, which granted, it is a choice to pick up in the first place. But, you know, a lot of people, there are people out there that can use, you know, whatever and just put it back down and never pick it back up again. And you don't really know that you're an addict until you're all of a sudden in the middle of addiction and you're, you know, you're waking up sick and having to go find your fix and So I would definitely say that, but I used to always compare it to like, you know, diabetes or something like, yes, you have an addiction, but as long as you do things to manage it, like diabetes, diabetes, you know, you need insulin and all that. Like with addiction, you need support, you need AA or NA, just depending on if that's their route, you know. As long as you do things to manage it, it, then it's manageable. But I just, I, and I wish that people would stop looking at, at drug addicts like, like lower than, you know, than somebody else because everybody is still somebody's son or daughter, you know? Yeah. Or everybody's somebody's child. Like, right. I think that it's, I think that there's a lot of value and like you said, that people can recover, people do recover and there's a lot of value in finding right help finding that in somebody and then helping them succeed and kind of putting your eggs in that basket. Um, now I know right. you had mentioned previously you had burned a lot of bridges. Um and yeah. So with all of that happening, like, obviously, you have to take time to work on your relationships and rebuilding those after everything. But Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, I I hope for you, at least, and for other people that, you know, that is something that you succeed at. And that that is something that absolutely everything kind of gets in alignment, that that's an opportunity that anybody who's been through that is presented with. Oh, absolutely. I've got better relationships with my family than I ever did before I even tried drugs. You know what I mean? Like ever after being through all of that and then really just coming clean to my family and just like owning up to everything. It was just like, you know, I'm let me prove to you that I'm different. And it's just we've we've grown so much closer because of it. I believe that wholeheartedly. Um mm-hmm. As far as you had kind of mentioned like AA and things like that, what resources have you found particularly that worked or do you have any that you recommend for anybody who could be currently struggling? Um, I, I threw myself into church when I first got sober and I used to always joke around and say, Jesus is my sponsor <laughs> because like it just that's what worked for me. But I always recommend, you know, AA or NA or Celebrate Recovery is a really great meeting. They feed you and everything for it. (laughs) Yeah. Everybody loves a good snack. Absolutely. And um, I don't know about other cities, but in Louisville, there's a phone number that you can call. It's 211. 
and it has any type of resource available. Like if you're looking for like housing or food banks, clothing banks, um, you can find that. Um, I'm trying to think. I think there's, it's 1-800-HELP now, maybe. But you yeah. can call and find sober living beds or like rehabs and yeah. Have you, I'm assuming that through most of your process, they've had you dabble into counseling and therapy and have you found yeah. that to be beneficial for you? I have. I I need to find, to reschedule and get another appointment with my therapist, but I was in therapy for about two years and I kind of trickled off the last couple months, but I did find it to be very helpful. I think that therapy is a good thing. And I think that everybody should at least try it once. You know, we all can't deal with our, with everything that we go through. It's, it's really good to talk, talk through things and work through things with, you know, somebody who understands like the way your brain works. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what would you say now that, you know, you've done all these things, you're in active recovery. I, I always start to say like, you're at the other end of it, but I think that it's continuous battle. And I think that you probably have to seek that strength continuous. So you are in active recovery. You've been this sober for five years. What have you been most grateful for? I've been most grateful for a second chance at life because I really almost, you know, threw everything away. And so I get, you know, I wake up and I'm, and I'm not dope sick and um, I don't have to go out and chase a high, you know, like I get to wake up and I get to spend time with my daughter. I get to spend time with my family and it's just, it's, it's really, it's really great, but you're absolutely right. It is an ongoing battle and you know, there are moments even now that I just, something in my brain just wants to release what I'm feeling and like my automatic go-to, it's it's definitely calmed down now, but my go-to would always just to be to get high. And, you know, so I, I guess I, I'm grateful now because I don't have to do that, but I still, you know, I get, I have gotten cravings you know, here and there, but I'm able to work through them and not act on them now. Well, yeah, that's, I mean, that's huge as far as understanding that, you know, this is a temporary craving and right. I'm not going to be throwing away my sobriety for this. Um, how are you, is there anything that you're actively doing to kind of help you seek peace or self-care tricks or kind of things that are your go-to? Um, lately I haven't, I'm going to be honest, I haven't really been doing much lately because I've just been so busy with, uh, life, but my, uh, go-to self-care is to like binge watch TV shows, but I know that's not very healthy, but that's my thing right now. <laughs> well, Hey, I mean, just turning your brain off a little bit sometimes that's I think basically. Is, is very helpful. Um, I do like to go on hikes though whenever it's real pretty outside. I like I feel like, you know, connecting with nature and kind of grounding myself and I think I'm also kind of turning into like a little hippie, you know, 
tree loving kind of girl. <laughs> I, I love it. I think there's nothing more therapeutic than being outside. Absolutely. I, I err on the side of like, it can't be super, super hot or super, super cold because then right. I'm not having fun. But <laughs> if it's a good solid temperature, I, I mean, just to be outside and have the fresh air and Absolutely. away from social media and kind of all of that outside noise, I think. Barefoot and all. Yeah, there's something to be said to connect in that way. Um, Absolutely. Well, I thank you so much for kind of going through your story. Is there anything else that you want to leave, you know, the listeners with or some words of wisdom for anybody who's struggling? Uh, At this point, the floor is yours. Just anything you want to talk about to maybe even give somebody hope into the next chapter. Absolutely. I just want everyone out there to know that it doesn't matter how far you think that you're, you've gone. It doesn't matter how low your rock bottom is. You can always come out of it. You just, I just really hope that you don't give up on yourself. And I'm, I'm really glad that, you know, becoming sober is becoming cool. And I just, I really hope that everybody gives themselves a chance and doesn't, and just get out of your own way, you know, because that's that was always my problem. I was always my own worst enemy. And it sobriety and recovery is there for the taking. You just have to you got to grab it. And, you know, if you are struggling, uh, please reach out to somebody, find, you know, give yourself a chance and go to detox or go to a 30 day treatment, you know, just get get something. And it's it's possible if if you want it. Absolutely. I love that. And I thank you so much for sharing your story. And I'm going to put some of the resources that you had mentioned in the show notes and have those down at the bottom for people to kind of use or utilize. And I am just so excited to actually <laughs> kind of reach. I mean, this is not like the ideal girls date chat. But I'm very excited to kind of just have rekindled with you and I'm proud of you. And I think what you're doing is amazing. And I hope that other people just find the conversation, you know, beneficial and we'll get those resources out. So thank you so much for being brave enough to tell your story. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure talking to you. I feel like we haven't, you know, Like we just saw each other yesterday or something like we haven't like it hasn't been years. I know. Well, I like I thought and this is a complete side note, but I I just envision you every day that you just are still wearing your MMS cheerleading outfit. (laughs) And that's that's all you got. I swear that's how I see you, too. It's okay. (laughs) we're, We're still there. But thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Yes. Thank you so much for having me.